Crock Elite, a podcast about no effects. Well, looky here, if it isn't another episode of Punk Rock Elite. Hello, I'm Eddie French and I'm here with Red Redmond. Hello, that's me. That is you. And we are doing the first of our NoFX full-length deep dives, which sounds very erotic, if you ask me. (laughs) Yeah, so we're going to start today with uh, Liberal Animation, their first uh, studio album. I believe they released some EPs before this, but this is their first uh, long play uh, or LP. They did. Um, <laughs> I like that's keeping it up for all of the Gen Z out there. Yeah, nice yeah. one, Red. Red, our youth correspondent, is well, going to be explaining it. Very big on the hit parade. Um, that was when they thought that this beats combo, <laughs> no effects, was going to be going places and going places fast. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm really glad that we, we've we've been able to to jump into this an album that I hadn't previously. Uh, listen to which uh, I, I apologize to any um, more hardcore fans than me out there um, mm. but it was actually much more enjoyable than expected and I can't wait to get stuck into it yeah well, there you go early uh, early warning for the tone of this it is going to be largely appreciative yeah because I, I have I've I did a little bit of research and there are other people who have done you know sort of like reviews and Mm. uh, bits and pieces on liberal animation and largely they are very critical and that's not to say that we don't have criticisms of the album i think that's very fair i'm sure no effects have criticisms of the album but yes there's something there in its essence it is no effects and uh we love no effects Yes, we love NoFX, and there is definitely a part of NoFX that exists within liberal animation, and that is worth uh, exploring. The introduction, got to do all of this stuff, you know. If you are enjoying this uh, podcast, there's a fair few episodes out now. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, not compared to Comedy Bang Bang, who've just done 800, but, you know, (laughs) there's enough to work out what sort of a thing we're going for here. If you do like it, then uh, tell people about it. Share us around. If you're not subscribed, please do. Follow us on Instagram. That's where we put out choice morsels, possibly <laughs> some less no effects related um, content. Podcast at gmail.com. That will, uh, if you've got anything you want to send us or um, anything like that, then do please do that. But as it is, I think we're just going to crash straight into this, aren't we? Hurtle headlong into liberal animation. Absolutely, in in the same way that NoFX did with studio recording, just straight through. Absolutely. What we're going to do is, uh, oh, I can see it coming now. There's uh, there's a music sting, Red. Grab onto it and we'll meet you in the main body. See you in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, that's the only way to travel, if you ask me. Absolutely. I am out of breath. Well, we can have a sit down now, put his feet up and uh, have a good old chat about liberal animation. Uh, Let's just do a bit of uh, housekeeping for it at the top. It was released on the 22nd of April. Mm Oh, so not very uh, far away from when this is going to be released, actually. So that's exciting. Uh, 1988. Wow. I've just realised this album is older than me. (laughs) Yeah, I... (laughs) It's easy to stop being friends with someone, you know, Red. It's, uh... <laughs> not by much, our lad. Not by no, much no, no, at all. I know. But like, 
Uh, I actually hadn't considered that. I always, I don't know, in my mind, this would have come out in 92. But, you know, clearly no, I've not no. been doing enough research. <laughs> no, no, no. This is, uh, this is four years four years older than you uh, suspected. Uh, it was recorded uh, between the 9th and 11th of January of 1988. So the turnaround was uh, pretty quick. Um, not released on Fat Records, but was released on Wassail. Which is um, which is another Fat Mike endeavor before uh, Fat, so uh, and uh, distributed through Epitaph, produced by Brett Gerwitz of no, uh, Bad Religion and No Effects Get a Credit as well. Let's have a look at the the album cover to begin with. If you're all in somewhere where you can look at the album cover, it does give away quite a lot of what the content of the lyrics are. Yeah, a little bit because there's quite a, an interesting anti-vegetarian um vein that runs throughout this album there's a lot of references to the militant vegans <laughs> seems to be militant vegetarians yes absolutely Ve- well, I mean, vegans was, aren't mentioned at all but it yeah. was almost pre pre-vegan i suppose I'm, I'm not not to say that there weren't vegans before 1990 yeah, but, but um uh you but know that, um, that was a very sort of yeah i think that has gained i mean there would have been in the sort of the hardcore scene but it yes. seemed that maybe in Los Angeles it was all a bit more. California's a bit more hippie, so the sort of presence of vegetarianism would have been general as well as sort of you know in in the punk scene and stuff like that. So and and like we're taking this all with a pinch of salt, you know. My guess is that no effects don't still feel as strongly against vegetarians as they did back in 1988. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of them are vegetarians now. Uh, they, I think most of them have been um, at some point. And I believe Fat Mike has said that he eats 80% uh, vegan diet, mm. which he, I believe he said for health and uh, ecological reasons, all of the reasons people give for veganism, uh, he said, but uh, 80% is um, is a... For him, he feels that that is a good balance of of um, of all that. This isn't a nutrition um, or an agricultural or ecological podcast, so uh, whatever <laughs> it is. So we can't really speak to any of that. I don't think either of us have done the research. But certainly 1988 Fat Mike felt very strongly about people who maybe were not necessarily people who didn't eat meat, but people who were vocal about not eating meat. Maybe that's yeah, like, what it is. I, I, I wonder, yeah, I, I agree. I, I wonder if, I don't feel like it is a stance against uh, vegetarianism, but rather a stance against a specific group of vegetarians who who were probably hanging around the, um, you know, the the punk scenes that he was involved in and he didn't quite like, uh, their particular attitude. I, I, you know, like there may have been some militant vegetarians, some militant hippies, a part of the punk scene at the time, and I feel like it's uh, a rant against them rather than the practice itself. I I feel that when Mike is singing these songs or, or having written these lyrics, I think there are definite specific individual people that are in his mind as he's doing it, rather than yeah. an entire. <laughs> concept so uh yeah it's probably that but um 
1988, I don't know how, I mean, probably barely 20 at this point, you know, that have still been very young. And mm-hmm. when you are in, I think the thing is with, with a scene like punk, and that can be a scene anywhere, when you've got people who fervently believe a thing and still have that vital energy that comes from being young, very young you know um adolescence your brain hasn't finished growing and changing all the rest of it you know you you think in very black and white terms so yeah you're not you're not someone who does this you are a this um, I think I, we've I'm spoken... not someone who eats vegetarian food I'm not someone who ke- who maintains a vegetarian diet I am a vegetarian and I, I you know think I mean? like uh, that viewpoint has come through in uh, our interview episodes recently because I think whenever we've spoken to uh, you know people who are a part of the punk scene they tend to say that yeah there was a time in their you know teens or early 20s where they were like yes I am a punk and this defines me and is who I am Mm. but now they see themselves as you know uh, people with punk ethics yes people who love punk rock people who are shaped by punk rock yeah and i think um a lot of what i criticize liberal animation for is also kind of the reason why i love it because whilst they might be you know like uh you know it is almost (laughs) the mindless music of a child in a way (laughs) that's why i enjoy it that's a remarkable review (laughs) The mindless music of a child, but you, no, you're absolutely right. A um, something there's a sort of a very appealing naivety, not not, not naivety, disregard for outside influence. I think because um, mm-hmm. I think because uh, Brett Gerwitz uh, of Bad Religion produced the first handful of No Effects albums, maybe they're just the first two. This one and S and M Airlines definitely. And on S and M Airlines, there's a lot of Bad Religion style harmonies, mm-hmm. R's and O's and all the rest of it. Um, and there isn't on this one. I don't know if the if he just thought, I don't think I can make them do this on this, or it didn't fit. But um, they, I think they did resist that sort of thing. Although it did mean that members of Bad Religion were brought in to actually do the harmonies on S&M Airlines and stuff like that. So maybe it was like, well, yeah, all right, then I'll, I'll, I'll do it if they do it. That is okay. There are bits in this where you can really see the influences that no effects wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rich Kids on LSD, the yeah. opening track, Shut Up Already, has got that several types of introduction before the song starts. And it's still <laughs> a really short song. But, um, you know, it it's, it is that, okay, so we've got, six riffs to start this song with and four different time speeds uh tempo speeds and stuff like that and then we get to the um admittedly fairly underwhelming lyrical content which is about six individual lines repeated a few times um on shut up already i think um because this is uh one of maybe two tracks that i had previously heard on this album Mm. um because i believe this makes an appearance on their greatest hits um and it's you know it, it it's a fine song but i i think one of the um the weaker points of this album i i would argue is the vocals i, I think the the drums the guitar and the bass is 
Um, not necessarily what I'd expect of NoFX, but I can certainly see where it's come from. Mm. Uh, but it, it's the vocals that I think show the greatest difference to modern NoFX. Yes, Mike has said on several occasions that NoFX should win the award for most improved band. He's like, <laughs> we're pretty good now. We used to be awful. <laughs> just unforgivably bad you know um and and i think he's uh exaggerating for fun or i certainly feel like that's an exaggeration he may well be genuine in how he feels about that that's fine um i think that you would struggle to find a band that has been around for as long that have improved as much i kind of see what he's saying I oh mean, no what, absolutely like it's, it's um how long would they have been together now uh oh, probably like, about 40 oh it's yeah because it's 40 it's 40 years they've been a band and i think they started in 83 so it's five years before they released a or they specifically recorded a full-length album because they did have a they had a maximum rock and roll which was uh several eps put together on one long play so yeah. as a compilation rather than a, a official studio release so so they've they've had five years of from hey let's be a band okay um uh go and to <laughs> getting in the studio and doing that four and a half five years so wow that's um i mean i i don't know whether the band i was in after five years was was better than this um but i think that yeah the vocals are the weakest part i think they're they're single tracked and mike's voice has yet to Settle. Oh, like I say, it was about twenty. I my voice didn't settle down properly until I was about twenty-two, mm, I was, yeah. you know, or twenty-one. It was uh, so, and I don't know what. And so, he's not had any sort of training. He doesn't really know how to look after his voice. He's blowing it out on every song. <laughs> so he must have. And and remember, this was all done in three days. The recording. Yeah, which is you know like re- really impressive. I mean, there's <clears> there's definitely a lot of like the the Washington hardcore scene in here. Um, I can hear bits of, uh, uh, you know, Dead Kennedys. There's something yes. that's very uh, fresh fruit and rotten vegetables about mm. um, this album. Um, uh, and particularly in uh, the second track, Free Dumb, the, the, the intro just reminds me of um, uh, Holiday in Cambodia. They've sort of got the, the, uh, the, sort oh. of the, the Viet Cong um, intro. <laughs> yes it's um yeah there's all sorts of uh yeah it's um it is a sleeve wearing i think no effects have always been quite open about their influences because they sort of have a series of bands you know i mean mike certainly i i it's difficult because with um a band where one person contributes the majority well in fact let's pretty much all of the songs in the form of the chord sequences, riffs, and sort of, you know, melody and lyrics, it's very easy to overlook the contributions by the other members. Uh, So I I just, I realized that we've been doing that a lot in different recordings. It's sort of got, Oh, well, Mike said, Mike does this, Mike does that. And all that stuff, all these others, they do all play it. And I'm absolutely certain that they will, make suggestions or something it's just it's just natural the way it is i don't think mike walks in and goes play this precisely that you know <laughs> so go well what if we did a little thing here go oh yeah okay that's cool let's try that i i don't know but i would find it odd if that had never happened also th- this album appears to be um written 
slightly more uh, communally than some of their other work. Like the, there is a lot of um, stuff that's uh, just written by uh, Eric Melvin or uh, the the guitarist they had at the time. I forget his name. Dave Casillas. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of their compositions on on this. There's a lot of lyrics by people who aren't Fat Mike on this. Well, there's uh, eight of the 14 songs were written by Mike and the others were written by Mike and Melvin or Mike, Melvin and Dave Casillas. Although the first just shut up already was Fat Mike and Dave Casillas and Led Zeppelin. Um, <laughs> yeah, which I don't think that we should we should breeze over that because I do think it's yeah. quite interesting. You know, the mm. first the opening track of NoFX's first studio album uh, breaks down from you know this sort of like Washington hardcore uh, noise that you hear at the start of the track, but it breaks down into Black Dog by Led Zeppelin, a sort of like a, a parody of Black Dog by Led Zeppelin, mm. and I think that really. You know, it's such a precursor to what NoFX are going to be. They're going to be a hard and heavy punk band with mm. a lot of humour. And I think yes. that first track really sets that out. Yes, I think I don't think that it it's weird because there's sort of... I mean, there's songs on here that sound like they're going to be humorous. Mm. And, and there's not really much humour on this because... Vegetarian mumbo-jumbo, right? <laughs> well, I, also, I got crabs... Yeah, which is um, just him shouting. I, I need to it, it, itching in my balls, and it's like it's, <laughs> they get funnier. I mean, everything, everything you hear, everything, every aspect from the humor to the uh, the hardcore punk to the um, shifting tones in, within songs, and uh, the, all of the musicianship improves immeasurably, but what you've actually got is is quite i mean the vocals again one of the main problems people seem to have with no effects is i can't bear that guy's voice and then they go and listen to blink 182 and you go okay <laughs> yeah like I've, li I've i've literally had that happen and like i like i i don't have a problem with tom delong it obviously it's tom delong tom delong's voice um at all um he sings as he does, I don't think it's an affectation. I think he genuinely does make those noises and that is natural to him. And I'd always rather hear someone sing the way they sing yeah. than have them imitate. You know, I'm a big fan of Billy Bragg. Not winning any awards, but you believe him, which is worth a lot. An imperfect, honest voice to me is always better than a, a, a sort of a well-trained, pure voice that isn't saying anything at all. Yeah. I agree. Doesn't necessarily come into play with a lot of people. Some people just like music where they can hear all the words. And luckily for you, you can't on this album. So um, that's <laughs> nice. <laughs> but you can hear the conviction with which the words are said. What are the highlights of the album for you? It might be uh, Shut Up Already, which I mm -hmm. really like. Uh, Beer Bong. Yeah, I like a lot. It's got um, a really good, like, driving, interesting rhythm to it, actually. Yes, because it's got the bits where it's got the beer can opening and the burping and stuff. And I, I think that's a really, again, another great precursor for understanding later no effects in that, you know, they are, even from the outset, using little studio tricks. You know, like, uh, obviously, yeah. um, you know, production is a big part of Fat Mike's life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to see where it's all come from and that they're they're already implementing little studio tricks this early into their recording career. Yes. Uh, later on, they'll go on, there'll be samples at the beginning of songs. There'll be, mm-hmm. you know, and all this kind of thing. Those little bits of texture, bits of flavor that go on. But um, Beer Bong was pretty much the only song I'd heard from this album because it is on I Heard They Suck Live. Right. It's one of their nods to their very early stuff. So, um, yeah, Beer Bong, I like. Mr. Jones, I like. A lot of these songs I like musically and sort of lyrically or even melodically aren't necessarily great. But I think I think yeah. Shut Up Already is, it really reminds me of RKL and I like that a lot. The uh, Rock and Roll Nightmare, it sounds like a sort of demo from that album, I think. Mm, to my yeah. ears anyway i think it does start stronger than it ends yeah finishes the truck stop blues which isn't my cup of tea although i like i like it when it goes from the acoustic guitar into the heavy guitars the tone on that is really really good but it's like it's like metal production kind of thrashy i, I think my biggest criticism of the album is i, I don't think the I don't think it's all been mixed right. I think a lot of it has. I think the majority mm. of it sounds great. The bits where I think it falls down is when they use acoustic guitars. It, it yeah. doesn't sit right in the mix, and it is like noticeably quieter than anything else. I, I was I was uh, cooking some food in the kitchen whilst I was uh, having a listen through one day, and um, I can't remember if it's vegetarian mumbo jumbo or if it's truck stop blues, but one of those was playing, and then it went. I had to like turn it up, like like crank it really loud just to hear what was happening. Yeah. But then it went into some distorted guitar, which um, scared my pet rabbit. So, um... <laughs> yes, <laughs> Truck Stop Blues is the worst offender for that, I think. Mm. And also the the sound they've got on the acoustic guitar isn't brilliant either. Like the whatever recording technique they've used, they've not mic'd presumably it. on purpose as well. I don't know. I think three days you just get. You get what you're Maybe, given, yeah. don't you? Because it reminded me of like, do you know, you know, the tone to the acoustic guitar on uh, "Fuck World Trade" by Leftover Crack. Yes, it, it, that sounds really dirty, but I think that that's been mixed a lot better. And mm. there's something uh, uh, of that here in like a guitar that is so dirty. I swear, mm. it, it's at least partly on purpose. It's it's possible. It could be that it could be that if you do it wrong or if you do it badly you're somehow disrespecting the concept of acoustic music and therefore <laughs> and therefore still punk and it is all right and i don't know it, it I, I don't want to sort of predict these things but i think the fact that you've got three days to record 14 songs mm-hmm. i am i mean from my own experience i have a degree in music production from uh having had to look at the history of recording and also Mm -hmm. i'm interested in that kind of shit anyway my best guess is that they would have recorded all of the music at once not the acoustic guitars Mm -hmm. Uh, they would have been put on afterwards as overdubs maybe overdubbed the solos and stuff like that and the vocals but two guitars bass and drums would have been recorded at once uh, in sort of separated spaces which 
is great and gives a much more i don't think there's any click tracks involved in this i'd be very surprised um you know in some cases there hasn't been a tuner involved in it so uh that's it <laughs> that's interesting too but actually no everything's quite quite well in tune and intonated on this but i uh, heard somewhere i believe in the uh fat records documentary which is very good uh if mm. people want to seek that out i believe uh, a lot of no effects early recordings uh, they do it in someone's bedroom closet. Um, vocals, it possibly. Would, it, it was. I know it was guitar and vocals that they would oh, do okay. in in like a a a, a bedroom cupboard um, because possibly, it would yeah. slightly dampen the sound as opposed to just doing it in an open room. If you you would do that if you if you have a, a wardrobe or a closet full of t shirts mm-hmm. hanging up. If you sing into that, it's not going to reflect back at you. The the, yeah. the echo is not going to bounce, so you're not going to get you're going to get quite a dry, clear signal. And then and then ironically, you go and put some controlled reverb on it to make it sound like you're in a lovely echoey room, but <laughs> but the right kind of echoey room. I remember I remember when back recording a band in the olden days. You see, uh, we would often put a duvet over the microphone and guitar mm-hmm. cabinet that we've ah. mic'd up draper draper duvet over so we just get that close mic'd thing and not the rest of the room because it might not be appropriate especially for like heavier guitars and, and what, stuff you what, want to chug what tog of duvet would you recommend <sighs> i don't know it was my <laughs> friend my friend andy caesar um it was his duvet because he lived in the halls this was on campus he lived in the halls closer to the recording studio on campus so he had to go and use his um it's i mean hardly but you know uh it was uh, (laughs) but it worked it worked really well i don't know what tog it was i think it was summer so it wasn't a very thick one (laughs) Uh, there's a million and one tricks for recording none of which were used in this because like i say three days the first day i imagine that had just been setting up doing mic placements yeah and getting all of that sorted and then the second day they probably just played through as many of them as they could and then the third day would have been overdubs and vocals absolutely and i think like uh obviously we understand that no effects are sadly going to stop performing live yes um but my understanding is that they they are going to continue to record bits and pieces potentially studio albums etc yes and my like if i had one wish for the next few years with regards to no effects i would love for them to revisit this album and re-record it as the artists that they are now not necessarily mm. changing it but yeah. just you know they've they've improved so much as musicians i would love to hear this stuff again but better yeah. Yes, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Or we could just get Ryan Adams to uh, just record <laughs> record what he thinks it should have been so that muso-nerd virgins can uh, go, oh, well, to be fair, actually, the song crafting is, is, is a bit better, actually. Yeah, the, the... I might be going to see Ryan Adams next Oh, really? Month. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. He's doing thinking a little tour, like, like a sit-down. I think he's doing like Palace Theatre in Manchester, which is a strange venue. I don't know why the fuck he's doing that. That's so odd. Anyway, but he's doing the Barbican in York, uh, very close to my birthday. So I might, might, I might go and see that. Let's talk about liberal animation some more. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, what are your other highlights of the album? Because I I really enjoy 
I live in a cake. Yes, again, musically, I like that. And I and I also, it's nice to have a song that uh, I have absolutely no idea what it could mean. <laughs> because, yeah. because a lot of Mike's songs, you know, you when you find out about like songs like I'm Telling Tim is one of my favourites mm-hmm. uh, from Song and Thanks for All the Shoes. And it's about um, the guy who started the Maximum Rock and Roll zine. Yep. I think. Tim Johannan? Possibly. Don't know his surname. And I think in another song, he mentioned something like, I, he, there's a line that says, I don't miss something, I do miss my old friend Tim. And it's like, you know, if you're not punk enough, I will I will tell Tim on you. And it's this silly song. But I lo- musically, I love it. And it just, it just uh, the melody's great and all that stuff. You can find out what that means by going, or when you hear a song, you go, I don't know who he's talking about. It's probably someone from the 1980s Californian, LA, San Francisco <laughs> punk scene that you just don't know about yet. And you go, oh, okay, well, I'll enjoy that as a story. But I live in a cake. I know, is there some famous hardcore guy who lived in a cake for a while? Well, it, I don't it, know. It makes me think of the Brass Eye episode about drugs. <laughs> you know, the, the yes. Chris Morris uh, black comedy um, where they introduce uh, there's a new drug on the streets called cake, yeah. and um, <clears throat> the production team very cleverly got a lot of um, real life celebrities to do these uh, anti drugs uh, sort of like videos, instructional videos like, about uh, this PSAs fake drug. Pu- yeah, like public service announcements of um, if anyone comes up to you and suggests, <laughs> and then they come up with a load of. Um, like nicknames for it and stuff like that and uh yeah and also they give them a sample of the drug and it's the size of a quiche it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like this enormous pill with like the split down the middle this big yellow pill and um, you have like wolf from gladiators advertising it and all these people yeah, and yeah. that's what shoots into my mind when i hear fat mike sing i live in a cake i mm. think he's Trapped I think sing in... is a very gener- generous term for that particular <laughs> I, very cake. I think that one was recorded towards the end of the day. Do you know what I mean? You can hear the ones that were recorded <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> but yeah, so, you, so Mike trapped mime-like in a large yellow pill. Absolutely. And now also, we can't talk about the highlights of the album without talking about the lowlights of the album. Mm, that's and true. I think, that's only fair. I think On the Rag is one of NoFX's worst songs. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Um, yeah. I'm sure they'd agree. It's, um, yeah, it's sort of, it, it, yeah, stop yelling at me. It, it's a bit sort of, yeah, it, there's not much to it. Musically, it's sort of fairly forgettable. And yeah, I don't know if, yeah. You're right. I mean, I don't, I don't rate Truck Stop Blues particularly highly. Yeah, me neither. But um, that is partly due to the the vocals, which just sound like a tired, tired boy, don't they? Yeah, and a, a lot of these songs much shorter than their at least their later work. I suppose you've got a, a few, uh, a couple tracks over three minutes in here. Um, yes. But a lot of things under two minutes. It's sort of, I mean, it, it reminds me of uh, Minor Threat's discography uh, in that, you know, it's sort of like get in, get out, um, heavy Washington hardcore. Yes, absolutely. I think there's a lot to be said for songs doing everything they can 
everything that needs to be done in a short time. Yeah. And I think that's that's sort of been the it's been one of the hallmarks of of punk rock, I suppose. Not necessarily punk as an art movement, but as a a musical genre. It's sort of don't you don't have to worry about, you know, putting in this, that here. You just everything needs everything that needs to be done has already been done and next thing now. And I I like that as a thing because um, contrary to what it may sound like, I like things when they're succinct and clear. Unfortunately, to get to that, I have to speak for a very long time, which is annoying. And that's not to say that they don't embellish in 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 moments. I mean, oh, yeah. like uh, there's some there's some genuinely impressive musicality in this, which I think is what pushes it into being a a, a quite good album. Um, yeah. And there's you know like songs like Mister Jones, uh, the guitar work on that. It's brilliant, and it, it mm. almost reminds me of like, like you know, Guns and Roses, Mister Brownstone. I, I don't know why it, it does, but th- th- there's. I, I think uh... they're about the same thing. Oh yeah, heroin. I think I think I think they're both about heroin. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my theory. But um, I, I'm genuinely impressed because obviously, like, there's short songs, and some of it's like quite quite succinct. But they do they do know how to play their instruments, even at this stage in their career. Um, yeah. And, you know, again, you know, to hear an album without Hefe, but it still has good guitar, is impressive. Well, it's a very metal influence on the guitar. There's a lot of sort of tapping yeah. solos. So it sort of sounds, you know, it's got that, you know, uh, Metallica-y kind of sound mm-hmm. on it. Apparently there are videos for Shut Up Already and Mr. Jones. Yeah, that's intriguing. I've not watched them. Uh, I might have done a long time ago, but uh, I, I didn't go and look at them for this. It was released on Epitaph in 1991, but they released it through Wassail before. So this would have technically had a Wait, big... Wait, the, the, the whole album or just these? The, the whole album. Oh, okay. So they released it themselves through Wassail in yeah. 1988. And here they, um, Epitaph uh, re-released it in 1991 with different artwork. Oh, okay. Now, so is the artwork that we're seeing, is that from the original release or is that the Epitaph release, do you think? Uh, that is a good question. It could be. Because obviously um, anything that I've looked at is saying that this album was released in 1988. So presumably that would be the artwork from 1988. Just having a look here. Oh, no, very different. Uh, yeah, we're looking at the Epitaph artwork. Right, yeah. If that, you write yeah. Wassail artwork, it's sort of black with the No Effects logo at the top in yellow. Oh, and, it's all, and it's got the red sort of. Yeah, no, no, it's 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 very different, isn't it? It's it's very very different. It's got sort of a musical note roller coaster thing. Um, I want to say the death metal thing. I'm I'm talking. It's got sort of weird embellishment. It's got this weird sort of livery embellishment around the side. It's um, and then like something that looks like the scream in the middle. It's, it's um, very you... unusual for no effects, but certainly not unusual for you know bands of this genre. I think um, I think I don't know. It's interesting because would you, if you listen to that album mm-hmm. with that image in your mind instead of the cow family eating a roast human? <laughs> yeah, right. How would that impact the first bite? Is with the eye. How would that have impacted it? Because I can't. I can't imagine how because. Well, it would it would almost it, it, like this um, this artwork, which is obviously not not the um, 
not the most famous artwork with the cartoon cows eating yeah. eating the, the purpose, but this new artwork, which is a lot more like abstract, darker, just reds, blacks and whites. Um, it almost would give the album a more serious edge. I mean, we've been we've been listening to these songs as if they're sort of like, you know, partly comedy songs. Yeah, lighthearted in, in tone and stuff. Around that time, what punk rock art was like, which was quite often sort of found imagery yeah. or um, sort of graffiti stuff. You know, they knew someone who was a tattooist and like, can you draw something sick for our cover? I wonder if NoFX had to pay any rights for including a section of Black Dog in their opening track. There's no mention of it. No. Um, I don't know, to be honest. I think... I think there are. I don't know what the copyright laws and stuff like that are in the US. If it's sort of a little sample, I think you're probably okay. But I couldn't. I couldn't tell you really. If it was a full cover, they'd have had to have gone through some whoever owned the the rights to it would have had to have okayed it or what have you. But I mean, if they'd have just played the whole song with that riff but sung different words, that would have been one thing. But <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean because the thing is in like um in uh my baby is a head fuck by wild hearts <clears throat> the wild hearts have got a, a bit of day tripper by the beatles in that song <laughs> it's just in the middle there and i don't know how one goes about dealing with it and that was released on a on a you know a label i don't know independent or what but you'd have had to have got in touch with someone this is wild speculation. Um, <laughs> the liberal animation, it's 14 songs. It's 29 minutes, 29 and a half minutes long. Would you uh, recommend it? Um, I would if you're a fan of no effects, particularly if you're into their later stuff and you want an idea of where they came from. I think mm. it's fantastic. But if you aren't a fan of no effects, I don't think this is going to change your opinion. Unless you think no effects are a bit too polished and poppy these days. <laughs> In which case, who knows, you might, you know. I mean, there's always one. There's always one person who thinks that the first album's the best one and everything that came after that is pose-core shit. So, yeah. In that case, Eddie, yeah. would you recommend liberal animation to someone else? Um, it's hard not to parrot your answer. I think for a no effects fan... At worst, liberal animation is a sort of historic curiosity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At worst, for someone who doesn't like no effects, it is evidence of what they've been saying all along. <laughs> so, <laughs> the most common or biggest criticisms leveled at no effects, even to this day, are here in quite sharp relief. Like I say, I don't mind a few rough edges on music I listen to. In many cases, I prefer it if that's an authentic thing. And I do think that this record is authentic. Mm, yeah. I think they're trying to sound like certain bands, but, you know, that's that's just what bands are like. Very few bands, very few artists have got a sort of a unique sound in their own head yeah. that they're trying to create. Some do. I would be surprised if there are many bands who are genuinely 100% disown, feel like they want to disown parts of their own recorded history because it mm -hmm. is, a record is always a document of where a band are at that time. Yeah. And this is what No Effects were in 1988. 
So you can only say, well, I'm glad they got better or I'm so sad they sold out or whatever it is. But you can only really take it as a as a, a document. I think it's impressive as well when you consider like how much of music this predates. I mean, this is arguably pre-grunge. Um, oh, absolutely. Is, not yeah. to say that they've like, you know, that they've invented grunge before it happened. Right? I'm not no, saying no, that no. at all. But I think that it's really interesting, you know, to put them in a historical context, that this album comes before Nirvana's Nevermind, which, you know, did inarguably change, you know, rock music oh, um, yeah, as yeah. we know it. Absolutely. So I, I think quite impressive that this is this this predates all of all of that well yeah nirvana were the punk band that mm. made it yeah and it's sort of it's interesting because when people sort of talk about other grunge acts they didn't really sound like nirvana the, mm. the ones that people talk about like Soundgarden and um pearl jam and the other bands that get sort of mentioned they don't really sound much like each other but but also yeah. like pop punk, like in my mind, I always think of like, um, you know, pop punk and hardcore as something that came after. I mean, I've always known that, you know, like the, the hardcore scene in the 80s obviously predates mm. Nirvana and everything. But the, I don't know, it, it, it still doesn't fit right in my mind. There's something about it that feels odd. Like they the didn't. Of it all. I think that because when a lot of hardcore bands in the 80s, they crossed over. That was, you know, they they mm. started playing essentially thrash. Yeah. So they sounded a lot more like Rain in Blood by Slayer than they mm-hmm. did um, Frank and Christ by, uh, <laughs> you know, by uh, Dead Kennedys or whatever. People got interested in underground music when Nirvana, you know, Kurt Cobain was still wearing homemade flipper t-shirts yeah. on saturday night like whatever tv shows they were on you know that always spoke about the underground well, they kind of they they always saw themselves as kind of a hardcore punk band they they i mean yeah. kurt would just argue that he knew how to write hooks um oh yeah i, I mean they they, they were uh they were a, a punk rock band that was where they all came from that was the scene that they felt comfortable in but they were also like you know up in seattle which is a bit rainier they were same coasters LA and all that stuff, but without the sunshine and the weather was a bit more British. So um, mm. things were a bit less, uh, that's the only way I can understand weather. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, that things were a bit more like that. So when, but then they were talking about all of the underground bands, or just, just non-mainstream bands that they liked. And that's when people started scouring the underground, particularly record companies. Same when Green Day had, you know, were suddenly everywhere or offspring were everywhere also um please do let us know if if you've listened to liberal animation you've got some thoughts on it maybe something that we missed maybe a little fun fact that we're unaware of we'd love to hear uh your your thoughts on the album i've really enjoyed listening to this and um i can't wait to get stuck into the rest of their back catalog because I, i think i've actually like looking at the size of it i think i've listened to an in an, an embarrassingly short amount of it. I don't think I've really listened to anything before The Longest Line. Hmm. Oh, you're, really? you're, you're only used to the Hefe output. I think I might be, yeah. Mm. It's interesting. Um, yeah, because again, th- I think all of NoFX's non-Melvin guitarists have all been more metal than they have punk. They've yes, all been absolutely. more interested in metal. 
is Hefe had no real knowledge of punk rock when he joined. Dave Casillas does a great job on this uh, record, um, the uh, stuff. And I also like that some of the solos are slightly sloppy and out of time because yeah. I admire that. So do you think this is going to work its way into your record rotation? Are you going to listen to this a little bit more? I probably won't. But <laughs> but I think Shut Up Already would make it onto a mix, onto a playlist, um, and maybe Mr. Jones as well. They'd be on two separate ones. I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> double load it. But Don't no, forget uh, I live in a cake. Uh, how could I? That's true. I think I like it for what it is, and I think if I listen too much to it, I don't think it would have the same impact. But there's a couple of little standout moments on here. But uh, to say if, but to say everything on the here is a solid gold banger would be, I think, um, it wouldn't be my truth. <laughs> to be generous how about yourself yeah yeah um i would i think i'm gonna have to parrot your answer i think that you know i'm glad that i've listened to it i'm yeah. very very glad that i've listened to it there are a few standout tracks on it similar to you shut up already mr jones i think i live in a cake good i think beer bong's good yeah beer bong's um good. I think the general vibe of it is very enjoyable. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that I'm going to listen to this in full anytime soon. No. Well, uh, the next one we do will be S&M Airlines. Exciting. Yes. Um, again, not one that I've listened to a huge amount, but I do know, I think I know more songs on it. I'm not going to look at it now, but I'm confident I, I, I'm familiar with more songs on S&M Airlines than I am, uh, than I was with Liberal Animation. For those playing along at home, we think we're going to try and aim for an interview episode every other week, and then one where Red and I either go through an album, or we might do some more uh, trivia things, or or um, look at a particular aspect. Um, or, or if you have any suggestions, let us know. Absolutely. If you've got any uh, questions, comments, your own memories uh, of no effects, uh, things that you love about them, things that maybe you you think people should know or that you know you think people overlook please do punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com or um give us a shout in the comments on instagram we'll see all of that thank you for listening this has been uh punk rock elite so thank you ever so much follow us on instagram have a look at uh the post we put up because we'll be uh doing stuff for other people we may even start i know now bandcamp allow you to make playlists uh, on bandcamp so if you're interested in what we've been listening to we might start putting a uh, a bandcamp playlist uh together each week or every couple of weeks and put that in our link tree which you can find in the description or if you've got anyone that you think we should be putting into our bandcamp playlist uh let us know and it means you can go and buy the song if you particularly like it directly from the artist, which is more useful than Spotify for the artists. And uh, as we've got coming up soon, we're going to be looking to be a bit more grassroots about this and uh, encourage grassroots venues, grassroots bands, promoters and companies that help artists from the ground up. Ace. So if you're connect connected to any of those, um, do get in touch. 
Well, thank you ever so much, Red. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my dear. Always a pleasure talking to you as well, Eddie. Thank you so much. You're welcome, of course. We'll see you all later on Punk Rock Elite. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Punk Rock Elite. It was a Pick Scraped and Fruitcake co-production by Eddie French and Red Redmond. If you're not following us on Instagram or subscribed to the podcast, please do. The main theme and production was done by Eddie French. Please contact us at punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you.